0: Visual testing has come a long way from the early days of XY mouse clicks and pixel comparisons. Angie Jones joins the show to discuss how modern visual testing tools work and how to incorporate visual testing into a complete testing strategy. Welcome to Testing Code. Welcome to Test and Code. I am thrilled today to have on the podcast Angie Jones. So welcome, Angie.
1: Thank you. How are you?
0: I'm really good. It's a nice, cool day. heated up for a while, but it's being nice now. Nice. I'm in Oregon, but where are you at?
1: I'm in Oakland, California, Bay Area.
0: Well, you're kind of a force in the uh, testing realm. Lately, or in the last several years. Yeah. For people that don't know who you are, can you tell people what you do and who you are? Yeah,
1: sure. So I'm a developer advocate and Java champion. I work at Tools, which uh, is a startup that does visual testing. I am an automation architect. So I've been in test automation for the majority of my career. That's where my passion is. But I also, you know, do full stack development as well. So little taste of everything, but my passion is in testing. Yes.
0: Okay. Did you say Java? Yes. Uh Oh, okay is most of your testing uh, in the java space then or
1: yeah, so i do uh, back end testing i do front end testing so yeah it doesn't really matter what your application is built in but a lot of teams tend to align with whatever they're using for production development so you know if it's written in javascript then you might want to use javascript or whatever so i dabble in a bunch of languages i used to work at twitter as a automation engineer and we would support multiple different teams. And so I would have to code in probably like two to three different languages every single day. So yeah, it's it's a mix.
0: Okay. I know we wanted to get into visual testing, but you brought up the term automation engineer and I, I guess I don't really know what that is. What is an automation engineer?
1: Yeah. So uh, an automation engineer is a developer who's Task is not necessarily writing uh, production features, but automating things. So automating tests or automating processes very common in DevOps sort of arenas, and so my focus has. Been mostly on automating tests, again, like UI tests or API tests, uh, component level tests, you know, unit tests, all the different (laughs) types of tests. But yeah, automation engineer would be someone who's not necessarily focusing on the exploratory or manual testing, but automating those tests.
0: Okay. And then also with, I think it's associated with Applitools as well. You've got some sort of testing school thing going on, right?
1: Yeah, Test Automation University. So Test Automation University is sponsored by Applitools. And um, I lead this project. It's essentially an online learning platform with courses on all things test automation. So there's courses on UI automation, mobile, API, codeless as well. And um there is courses in all of the different, well not all, but the popular languages such as, you know, Java and JavaScript, Python, you know, Ruby, those things. What's great about this initiative is that The instructors are leading experts in the testing space. So it's not just me teaching, but, you know, I've basically reached out to a lot of my peers and um, they've offered these courses as well. And since the whole initiative is sponsored by Tools, the courses are available absolutely free to the public.
0: Okay. And where do I I find that?
1: TestAutomationU.com.
0: Okay. I'll have to check it out more
1: yeah yeah
0: also one of the things that in the the automation and test automation space there's kind of it depends i don't know if it depends on the company or the the team that you're on or something but a lot of times there's just i don't know the end product the shippable product developers they're doing the testing as well while they're developing the features and then on other teams there's like independent people that are doing the test automation and those might not be people with like engineering backgrounds. Is the test automation you something applicable to both groups? Yeah,
1: yeah. So we have um, a range of different people, (laughs) types of people who study at test automation University. So it's been around, I guess, about a year and a half now, we have 60,000 students. So it's really popular. And I took a look at just a small sample of who made up like the top 1% of students there. And I was surprised by the range of people. So it was developers, you know, they have the coding skills, but not necessarily the testing skills. So they want to learn how to better test their software. There were testers, of course, like you said, don't have the engineering background, but want to get into Coding or automation, and so um, lots of those. But there were also like managers who were taking it. I guess you know, trying to evaluate different tools and things like this, keeping their skills up to date. There's people who switch from other disciplines. So uh, one of my favorite stories is one of uh, a woman who was working in HR, and so she's using Test Automation University to learn how to get into like a more technical role. And we don't just provide the test automation courses themselves, but in order to do test automation, you have to know how to code. So there's a Java course that I taught. There's JavaScript, there's Python. So there's also these programming courses for people who are interested in learning how to get started in coding. Oh,
0: that's cool. Yeah. Neap. This wasn't what I was going to focus on, but I, I see some uh, familiar faces. You have Boz Dykstra, Andy mm-hmm. Knight, Paul Merrill. Lots of familiar faces in there. That's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Lisa Crispin, even. That's neat. Nice. Yeah. Thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring this episode. I first tried PyCharm when they started supporting PyTest many years ago. Their support for PyTest is now amazing. I was a long-time Vim user, so next I needed to test the IdeaVim plugin, so all of my finger muscle memory still worked while editing. Check, it works great. There's lots of reasons to love PyCharm, but for me, it is because they have the absolute best user interface for test automation. Then I learned many more ways PyCharm can save me time, like really great support for editing Markdown, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, remote connections to database, and amazing version control support. Really. It's the best Git diff tool I've ever used. And now version 2020.3 is out. And the shift shift, the find anything key sequence, even lets you search Git commit messages. What even? That is so awesome. Tons of other cool features have been added in 2020.3. Check it out, and I hope you enjoy it at testencodecom slash PyCharm. When you said you were interested in talking about visual testing, I have to admit, I kind of cringed because I guess I just remember, I guess the last couple decades, we've uh-huh. had just, uh, we've had a lot of products come out in the last couple of decades that promised easy visual test automation, and they've been train wrecks. <laughs> and a lot of it is because the, um, I mean, a lot of them were like uh, pixel, you know, tracing mouse clicks uh-huh. and X, Y coordinates and like pixel Comparisons mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but I think it's moved on. It's a different world now, right?
1: Yes, you're absolutely correct. So, the pixel to pixel tools, uh, those folks are still out there. The way I describe it is, you know, that's kind of using a dated technology. Just as you mentioned, it's cringeworthy. It really wasn't built like those sorts of technologies weren't built for <laughs> testing software. You know, and so you have like a lot of Flaky tests and you know false negatives, and you're being pinged because oh the cursor's in the wrong spot, so the whole thing blew up, you know. However, the company I work for, Applitools, is using visual AI in order to mimic the human brain and eye to compare those pictures. So it's a much different experience i often tell people about like you know those little spot the difference games yeah so i ran uh one of those oh you know where the two images had some differences i ran that through like a pixel to pixel comparison tool versus the AI driven tool. And uh, you know, the results were startling. The pixel to pixel comparison, just as you said, it's highly sensitive. It was picking up every little white shift change. It just was not conducive for testing versus running it through the AI. It spotted the differences just as I would have as a human being. So yes. Visual testing has gotten much more mature.
0: Yeah, there are some tools, and I think Apple Tools is one of them that also does um, DOM comparison.
1: Yeah, Apple Tools is not one of those. So- <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's like three classes of visual testing tools, right? So the first class is uh, the one we described that does the pixel to pixel. I promise you, that's not what you want, unless you know you have like a really basic app with nothing much going on on it. But anything more advanced, you start getting into trouble. The second class does the DOM comparisons like you specified. And that's Kind of similar to what the the normal functional test automation tools do. When you think about those, when you're asking something like, is this text present on the screen, it's not looking at the screen, it's querying the DOM to see if that's there. So those visual testing tools kind of fall in that same category where it's comparing things like the CSS to see if there have been any changes and then alerting you with that. And then there's the class, the AI class, which we're in a class of our own, really. We're the only ones using this approach. But it's essentially looking at the surface, so doesn't look in the DOM. It compares the pictures, like I said, using machine learning. But there's also like... Um, root cause analysis built into. So it, it kind of couples both of those approaches where it uses the machine learning to compare the photos. But if there are any differences, it'll then go and start querying like the CSS to see what changes were made so that it could give you a nice report to say, oh, this is why it failed because, you know,
0: X. Yeah. And I, was, I actually watched a, a little uh, presentation you did where um you had an example where the i don't know there was some text that was just oh, like off the screen or in the wrong place and a person would totally see it right off the bat and say this is ridiculous but but that's hard to test from a DOM perspective mhm yeah so
1: yeah that's where those visual bugs live in the in those viewport changes right so <laughs> right now we're in a responsive world where everyone is expecting your application to work on every single device you know whatever device they happen to have your app better work on it and that's really hard from a development and a testing standpoint and those visual bugs that's where they live like <laughs> that's when you start seeing you know your app get a little wonky when you start changing the size of the screen and you didn't really prepare for that
0: okay so now we have got a whole bunch of tools then so I've got if I take this seriously with end-to-end testing and API test. let's say, let's pick a particular application. So I've got an application that's, that does have a web front end, but there's also like, maybe let's say I've structured it fairly well and there's a, a REST API or something also that the drive that I can get most of the functionality from. So now I've got decisions. Do I test locally? Do I test on a server against a server against the REST API? Do I, Test against the DOM. Do I test, and then do I do visual testing, or Mm -hmm. possibly all of them, but in certain percentages? Do you have any Mm -hmm. advice around that?
1: Yeah, I, I typically follow like the the most common models out there, like the you know test pyramid, for example, to say like okay bulk of my tests should be done at the unit test level. But I'm also not naive enough to think that that covers like everything I need covered, right? So yeah, there may also be some API or when you start getting into your integration test, that gets really interesting as well. And even if I test things from the API level or backend level, right? Let's say I'm just going to test all my data and stuff here. There's still this presentation layer that I believe should be tested, right? And that does not mean I need to run like all of my tests at this level, no. But I think that the visual testing really helps here because I don't have to do much except like, oh, go and make sure my app looks good, you know, and I can bypass like a, probably a lot of the navigational things and the, the entire like in the end scenario or whatever, you know, I could run some API calls, get my application in the state it's supposed to be in and hey, just make sure that looks good. Cool. You know, and then verify the rest on the back end.
0: I'm still envisioning and I maybe it's just my own history that a lot of the I guess unit tests are very focused by definition, but even I like to focus uh, like API tests as well at a a narrow bit of functionality. But often like a, because, okay, so if we had like a manual scenario, a manual test script or something, um, I want to be, try to be cognizant of the tester's time. So have a workflow that does like maybe a common user scenario that hits a whole bunch of my application but it's easy, is easy and to follow, and it kind of hits a lot of stuff. Do I do the same sort of thing when I'm doing um, something like a visual testing to try to, to have like one or two or three tests that hit a whole bunch of my application, or do I still want to try to do a focused thing? Do you have-
1: that's, yeah, that's a good question. I think it, you know, of course, it depends. But I'll say this. When you do the visual testing, you get much more bang for the buck, right? And the reason for that is because your pictures are worth a thousand assertions. Let's say, for example, that let's take a scenario where I want to test that I can decrease the quantity of an item that's in my shopping cart. All right. So I'm on the shopping cart page. And I decrease that item and then I'm ready to assert on that. Now, if I were to write this functional assertion, I would probably make sure that the number decreased by one. Right. So it went from three to two, for example. Right. Okay, that's pretty good. But I bet you can imagine a whole bunch of other things that could go wrong there that we're not accounting for. Like did the price update? oh yeah, snap, let me write an assertion for that too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Did it affect anything else in the cart? What if there are other things and everything went down by one or something like that? So there's a, a whole bunch of stuff and then you start saying, uh, I don't want to write, like, am I, am I being paranoid here? Am I going overboard, you know? <laughs> and so you're you're on this fine line where you don't know if you've written too little or too much, but when you have that visual testing, you basically say, okay, let me decrease it by one and take the picture, And now you have all of these assertions kind of built in already, where it's going to look at everything there to determine if everything is correct there, right? And that's like a single line where I just say, yeah, assert, you know, (laughs) and it's going to make sure all the products are right, the quantity is right, the titles didn't change, nothing is overlapping each other, you know, so you kind of get functional assertions built in as well, which is a... Amazing side effect.
0: <laughs> so a picture is worth a thousand assertions. Did you make that up or did I some... that up? That's awesome. That's Let's good.
1: That's on a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, you deserve a bonus just for that. <laughs> anyway, actually, so I w- went into this thinking, yeah, I don't think anybody can convince me that like visual testing is worth it. But I got to tell you, I don't know their sales pitch is good. It, <laughs> it's it totally makes sense and um. I also okay so when I'm when I'm teaching um people just even even like at an at a at an interface layer testing or an API level testing there is these these okay I'm I'm not addressing what you said but the 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 idea of a workflow test is a similar sort of thing that they're horrible when they they go wrong because they you don't know what failed because it's like you're every, like a million things have to go right for it to work but when they pass, you know a lot, so anyway <laughs> but the visual testing is kind of neat, and I like how how the uh, highlighting happens and the comparisons and stuff so the snap the snapshot sort of stuff I'm kind of brushing by it because I know it already but there's there's an API so i've got I still have like these text or at least I can have these text based tests that call the apple tools like thing and api and say hey i'm at this part of the of the workflow i want to take a picture here and then you you just sprinkle those through in reasonable knowable parts right right and then what do you have like a baseline where you just say okay run it against a good version and then we're just going to keep that tool running yeah. yeah.
1: So a lot of the a lot of the the you know tedious stuff like taking a picture and managing all those images happens behind the scenes. So we as engineers don't have to worry about that. Just like you said, you just make the calls wherever you want, right? So I do da 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 da. Take a picture. Okay. Now I want to do da 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 da. Take a picture. And those pictures are then sent up to the aptitudes cloud and they're stored in a dashboard for you. So everything is there and it knows what to compare it to based on a number of parameters, right? So when you say that you want to take a picture, you, you're giving it the name of your test and the name of your application that you're testing against, right? So it takes those, but then it also, behind the scenes, combines that with, okay, what browser and version is this running against? What OS? And what are the dimensions that they're running against? And all of those things together make like this unique identifier. So if I were to run that same test, like say I ran the test on Chrome, and then I want to run that same test on Firefox, where it's not going to compare the Firefox image to the Chrome image because, you know, browsers render differently, but it will create a new image like, oh, she hasn't run this one against Firefox, so this is a new test, and it's automatically going to create that as a new baseline.
0: So how do I know that it's, I guess it's the priming part that I'm still confused about. How do you know that it's working in the first place?
1: Like that initial one? Yeah. Okay, so... You don't have to check it, but you're like me, right? Where We have like a testing mindset. So you're like, how do you know that it worked? So you go to the dashboard after your test if you want to you know you go to the dashboard and then you look at the baseline image that was captured and you can verify that just like we do when we write any other automated test, right you're making sure everything actually looks okay before you commit this to being an automated test that's going to be run several times a day and gate deployments you know yeah. so same kind of thing You you can go to the dashboard when you run it that first time see what was there and you say yep that looks beautiful nothing to do right if you hate it you delete it but if it's fine you just kind of leave it there
0: okay so i can i can kind of like have that open and then have my code open and then walk through and go oh there's that snapshot there oh nice that makes sense cool i thought maybe you just had to know it was good to start with or something <laughs> okay cool how long have you been working with visual testing
1: i started working with it when i was working at twitter we used it. It's funny because the Twitter tests, some of them were like dynamic type of tests because we didn't have these staged tweets, right? So you don't know what the tweet is going to say and you almost think, well, I can't use visual testing if it's going to be dynamic like that, but that's not true. So... You can use, like, this mode. There's different modes with um, the tools. And the Applitools API is called Eyes, which is amazing, right? So (laughs) with the Eyes, you can set, like, these different match levels. So you can, by default, it runs on strict. There's also, like, one that does pixel to pixel. But, of course, I told you that's not the way to go. So don't use that one. There's one that goes colorblind and just verifies the content. And then there's one that verifies the layout of your page, right? So it's using machine learning in a different way to detect the pattern on your page, right? Oh, you have, let's take a tweet. It has like different components that are, you know, standard for a tweet. So there should be a profile picture, you know, in the left corner, followed by your name and then a username and then some context, which could include media, you know, et cetera, time and date stamp, etc. Right? So I don't want to verify what all of this says exactly. Like I don't need to know that it's October 15th at, you know, 12 noon, but I want to make sure those tweets are not overlapping or, you know, it's not, my ads are not, you know, bleeding off the page or something like that. So that's where I started using visual testing in uh, the dynamic mode to test the tweets. And I would say that's been, I guess, about three or four years now.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. You said you've been doing test automation a lot or automation of lots of kinds a lot of it tested. Mm-hmm. Now you're uh, a developer advocate for Tools. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been speaking a lot too. Is this speaking something that started with your developer advocate role or is that something you've done before?
1: Yeah, I started speaking um in 2016. You know, I was like, "Oh, I want to speak at a conference," you know, just kind of like one. And <laughs> and uh I did it and I enjoyed it and you know, I before I started speaking, I was blogging a little bit. And so I started kind of gaining a following that way and when I started speaking then I was getting requests to do more of that. So I started taking them up on that and it just kind of grew like out of control. <laughs> I'm serious. Like this was this was even before my Twitter days. This was at another company and it got to the point like I was gone more than I was in the office. So when I went to work at Twitter, I'm like, hey, this is, you know, a big part of my life. It's that cool, you know, because I don't want to go anywhere where people are going to have problems with it. Like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It even grew more, I guess, you know, when you start working at one of these notable companies or whatever, people want you on their agendas and stuff. <laughs> and so the invitation started coming in even more when I was there to the point that I I couldn't sustain it, Brian. It was like, Working two full time jobs. I had to do my Twitter work.
0: You're like working in the hotels and stuff then?
1: Oh my God. I would be like in Europe. And I would give like an eight-hour workshop, and then I would have to go back to my hotel room and put in eight hours at Twitter, like working through the night and stuff. <laughs> it was impossible. And so it got to a point. I'm like, okay, I gotta pick one of these things. And I was like, but you know, these conferences aren't paying you, you know. So how can I make a living off of this? And that's when I learned about this DevRel job, where it's essentially where you produce content, you do talks, you do. You blog posts you you know make videos and stuff like that where you're educating people on tech um and you get paid to do that so I'm like ah that's where i need to be <laughs> i didn't even know that was a thing so that was great and uh because i was already familiar with uh aptitudes And I knew them, the founders from like the the conference circuit and stuff, you know, they expressed that they had a need for this type of role. So I'm like, huh, this might be like a match made in heaven. And it was. So that worked out great.
0: So that's awesome. I'm glad that that's working for you. Yeah. Uh, The conferences have sort of dried up. Are you doing a lot of virtual conferences now?
1: Brian, listen, (laughs) they've dried up in person, but everybody's doing a virtual conference now. So now I'm doing one to two of those a day now so are you serious yeah it's kind of ridiculous like (laughs) so i'm trying to slow up on that front but yeah there's still like i think people are like oh you know we didn't have enough conferences in real life and now (laughs) we can do them virtually so everybody's doing a conference
0: (laughs) yeah and it it used to not be possible to do a conference in two different locations in the same day, but yeah, possible now. <laughs> <You know>? True. <laughs> yeah. So, wow, one to two a day. So you, if I, if I look for, you know, you're probably all over YouTube then. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So, what's really exciting? I mean, if you're doing, all, you're you're speaking a lot. What's really exciting to you about whatever in the future? Now, do you have anything that that you're thinking might be fun to do personally or? work related or any sort of test stuff that excites you in the future?
1: Yeah, I think Test Automation University was like really, really exciting for me. So I'm really happy with how that turned out and how that's going now as far as what's next, what's in the future. I'm not sure. I'm one of those people who I don't really plan a lot. (laughs) I just kind of go with the flow and keep my eyes open to, you know, what's going on and things like that. So I'm not sure. But you never know with me. You know, I just bust out with something like really dope out the blue. So you just never know.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm excited that we get more and more people talking about uh, talking about automated tests and how to do it in a smart way. And uh, you're definitely one of the people doing that. So thank you for all of your effort. I think it's great. Thank you. I do want to, um, let's see, we've we've told people to look for Test Automation U. If they are curious about other stuff you're doing or pursuing, any other places you want to send people?
1: Yeah, I'm, I live on Twitter. So definitely check me out there. My handle is techgirl1908. And so that's where I post, like, a, a lot of the stuff that I'm working on, any blog posts or upcoming talks and things like that. And I also have a website, AngieJones.Tech, that you can check out where I write about test automation strategies and techniques.
0: AngieJones.Tech. Yep. Oh. Hey, you've got this, like, uh, your little um, logo thing. Yeah. Some artwork. Did you have somebody do that? do that?
1: Yeah, I had an artist create it for me.
0: Oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Nice, nice look. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, and uh, uh, wish you well in the future.
1: Okay, thanks so much for having me, Brian.
0: Thank you, Angie. I thought that was a very interesting discussion. Also, thank you, PyCharm, for sponsoring the show. Try PyCharm yourself at testingcodecom PyCharm. Thank you, Patreon supporters. Join them at testingcodecom support. The show notes for the episode are at testingcodecom slash 141. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.